Any advice that you would give someone who's going on their first trip to a completely, you know, different culture, what would you, how would you advise them as a traveler? Well, I'd say, you know, leave your American attitudes and, and uh, opinions home. Mm. Uh, go to learn. I tell our volunteers who go on these work teams, I said, if, you're, if you feel like you're going to help folks, you got it wrong. Because mm-hmm. they don't need your help. Mm. But they'll take it. But if you're going to say, I wonder what these people can teach me, then you've got it right. And then you can you can take something from it. Um, I found Americans to be, you know, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm traveling in these places and I become part of the culture. Yeah. Don't go and be an American. The ugly American thing is very true. Uh, be a, a citizen of the world. Be an explorer. Be a learner. Mm-hmm. And, and then you'll have a great time. That's good. Welcome to the America's Podcast, where we're learning what it means to become a next-level neighbor. My name is John Schroeder, and today I am joined by David Snell. David is the president of the Fuller Center for Housing. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm delighted to be here. That's great. So, David, we uh, got just a brief chance through email, uh, so that's what brought us here. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'd love to dive, dive right in and hear a little bit about the Fuller Center, what that is, and then uh, there's a process for people to apply to become uh, to be to, to receive the project and to work through that. So, can you give us a brief description of the Fuller Center and how can someone become an applicant for that? I can. Um, Fuller Center for Housing is an uh, Christian ministry uh, dedicated to the notion of eliminating poverty housing. Uh, is founded by a Miller and Linda Fuller, who were also the founders of Habitat for Humanity. And uh, they had a parting of the ways, and uh, we were trying to decide what to do with Miller. He said, I'm a young 70, can't find the word retirement anywhere in the Bible, and I want to do some work. So we started the Fuller Center, and um, that, that was 2005. Then uh, Miller died in 2009 mm-hmm. and um, left a big hole. Um, and I was asked to step in and, and, and did um, with fear. And, and we've just gone on to, to become uh, a really a, a great, successful organization, but in a measured way. Mm. Um, you know, we don't aspire to be a Habitat for Humanity. We're happy to be in what we are. We could grow, but we're now in over 100 cities around the world. Wow. And um, doing just some, some great work. And what we do is we work with God's people in need. We work with families, typically, who have no other access to home ownership. They can't go to the bank and get a loan. They have no resources. They don't own land. And we help them own a home. Um, The people come to us. uh, We operate through our local affiliates all all around the country and and around the world, and, and like here in America's. And, and someone will approach the folks in America and say, you know, we really need some help. So they'll do, do some working with them. Um, but the families have to agree to uh, be part of the project. They're participants, not just recipients. So they have to help build. And if they're disabled and can't, they can go in the office and help with that. But they, they need to be part of it. They need to agree to pay for the costs. A lot of folks say, now, why do you charge them for the house? That's not Christian, but it's very Christian. Um, they pay for it on terms they can afford with no interest charged, no profit made. Uh, 
And what happens so often is that they end up paying less for their housing uh, than they were paying to rent. And the long-term result, after 20 years or so, they own the house. But they really own it. You know, you don't own things that are given to you the same way as you own things that you work for. Mm. And, uh, we call it enlightened charity. Yeah. Uh, so th that's sort of what yeah. we do. And that's, that's amazing. That's how we do it, yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so that takes a lot of initiative, right, on your part, on Miller's part. It takes a lot of tenacity, a lot of grit. Um, it also takes a lot of just love and care. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your life story, you growing up, what what was the what were the things that brought together you uh, seeing this as valuable to you personally and becoming a part of uh, the Fuller Center for Housing? So tell me a little bit about you. Well, I'm uh, from Colorado, actually. Okay. Transplant. Grew okay. up there. Is it Colorado or Colorado? Well, it's really, it's a three-syllable word there. It's Colorado. You just sort of drop a couple of syllables. <laughs> okay. I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. That's good enough. Um, uh, we we semi-retired uh, early, and we had a little place up in the mountains, and we were, we were just living a good little life. And a friend of mine came. He was living in San Diego. This is in 1989. Okay. And he came and said, we're having a project in Tijuana, a mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter work project. We're going to build 100 houses. And the folks in San Diego and the folks in Tijuana can't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. They can't communicate. Would you be willing to come down? So yeah. Sheila and I moved to Tijuana. Okay. We were six months. It was going to be a six-month lark. Wow. And uh, we helped put that project together. And uh, it, it was just, it was a great project. Uh, got 100 houses built. That's and, amazing. Uh, That's yeah, amazing. it really was. It was phenomenal. But I saw things there that, just, that did start to touch my heart. Mm -hmm. um, and because I went to it, you know, I wasn't a secular person, but I didn't go into this thing spiritually. Mm -hmm. But I found that it had a spiritual component. Yeah. And I, there was a turning point one night during the work week on Thursday night. We had a very elaborate camp with the theater and, and the city put together for us. And the camp went dark. And up on the top of the hill across the way, there was a light. And then there was another light and another and another. And the lights then started coming down the hill. There was the homeowners. And they were coming down into the camp and put, put the candle in the window of their new home. Yeah. And it was, I, you know, we had these big, beefy security guards in tears. I mean, it was just a tremendously touching. Wow. But it was a spiritual moment. Yeah. And it, it, it emphasized the importance that people have in having their place. Yeah. And uh, these weren't big places. They weren't mm -hmm. big houses, but they were theirs. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, so, so your care for, for, for people that are, you know, in a different place, uh, trying to learn how to communicate... Uh, was that something that you were uh, drawn to even as a young child? Like, what was what was your child like life like? No, I was raised in a, in a very healthy home. Okay, I had a great upbringing. Uh, I had nothing to prepare me to be a builder or a banker <laughs> yeah. or a social worker. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just a great life, and um, I, I uh, got out of the. I was in the insurance business actually in California. Okay, okay. Um, but I got out of that early. Okay. And so you knew how to be relational, as obviously with insurance, meeting people, talking with people, helping people. Well, actually, yeah. And my, I was primarily working with farm workers who were injured. And okay. so there was that, that Spanish thing again. You know, that's yeah. been a real part of my life. 
Yeah, how um, long did it take you to learn Spanish, or was that just a part of your education? I live down in Mexico. You have to live someplace. Yeah. And, you know, do you know, how's your German? It's not that good. <laughs> it's not. It's not <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and, um, I mean, that's, that's really the way to learn a language, is to be there. Yeah. Um, but it served me well. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what got me involved in this whole thing, which I never intended to make a life, life uh, mm-hmm. mission out of. Um, but after the Carter Project, we got invited to come up here to Americas. Okay. Miller and I became buddies. Okay. What year was that? Do you remember? That would have been 71, 70. Okay. No. Not 70. Not 70. 90. Yeah, 90. 90. Yeah, 91. <laughs> Just right. track yeah. the time. Yeah. This is 90. And, uh, and we came up here and got involved with Habitat for Humanity. And, and we had a great time. We, up until the late 90s. And then the things started to change. You know, you could start feeling. I felt like Daniel. Oh, yeah. Watching the handwriting up on the wall. And it was changing. And, and you, were, you were in Colorado at the time? No, I was in, we, we lived here in America. Okay, okay. So this is our second tour here. Okay. And uh, so I, I, we decided to move on and go back to uh, back home. <laughs> I've been trying to get home all my life. <laughs> Every time I think I've made it, something comes along. Yeah. But I, so we, I actually started working on Indian Reservation, on the Pine Ridge Reservation, building houses there. Okay. Fascinating experience. Mm-hmm. Very frustrating, but great time. Mm-hmm. And uh, then a friend called me in 2004 and said, Millard's, Millard's having trouble. And mm-hmm. so I gave him a call, and that's when they were going through all of the heartache of uh, being separated from Habitat. That's right. So I've been involved with the Fuller Center since the very beginning. Mm -hmm. But I didn't actually move here until after Miller died, and then I kind of, you can't preside from afar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's when we moved back to America. So it was about, well, it was 2009. Okay. So, um, so growing up, I want to ask you this too. What were, what were some of your influences? Like wh- who were people that you were aspiring to? What, what was, what was kind of life like just in high school, college? Where did you see yourself? Well, you know, I've got to be honest with you. This was in the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, we saw ourselves as rather, um, well, we, you know, we were free thinkers. We were hippies. We were, uh, party people. So I couldn't really tell you that there was a lot of positive that came out of that time period, mm-hmm. a lot of influence. Um, and, you know, I, I have no great regrets, but I can't tell mm-hmm. you that, I, well, that, that changed my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was really, and then we just carried on, you know, mm-hmm. you're getting business and you're doing the business thing and, and you just. Did you meet your wife before you started your business? With she insurance? worked at my dad's office. Okay. I met her at my dad's office. Wow. Yeah. Was it, was it like love at first sight? Was it, it was, was pretty it, close. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. We got uh, engaged. This was in 1972 now. Okay. Just to give you a clue. We're dealing with time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got engaged in January and got married in July. That's awesome. Everybody said it won't work. Yeah, but yeah, it did. Yeah, and here, fifty years later. Absolutely. <laughs> so, what did she think about traveling and those? Was she encouraged by that? She was. She was like, David, I'm not, I'm not with that. Or what? What was the? Well, she she was patient with it. Okay. She really didn't care about the international travel. You mm-hmm. know, she didn't want to go to Nigeria, or the Congo, mm-hmm. but. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, separation was always a little bit challenging, but, but we had a lot of separation in our life because I was working on Pine Ridge for a while and we lived in the Colorado Springs and coming back and forth here to Americas. So we were accustomed to that. Yes. And um, leaving Colorado was very difficult because our, our son and grandchildren are there. 
Okay. And, uh, you know, that was, that was hard. I mean, it's a three-day trip if, yeah. if we drive. Yeah. And, but you know what? We have really come to appreciate Americas. Wow. And um, I mean, it's, it just feels good here. And we know people, and we're involved at church, and Sheila has her clubs. And, yeah. And uh, so it's turned out to be a very good experience for us. That's great. So, yeah, I, w- I would love to hear just kind of your first, your first experiences in coming to Americus. Was Americus, is the town kind of similar to the town that you came from, like as far as size? Or what was, the, no. what was your initial uh, The town experience. has changed. Um, I mean, it's changed physically some. But, um, you know, in those early days, that Habitat was sort of an outlier here. Mm-hmm. And, and we felt that when we came. As a matter of fact, we went to this little church, and they were just so happy to see us. A young couple come to church, a little tiny church, and what yeah. do you do? And I said, well, we're with Habitat for Humanity. Oh. Mm. And that was it. The conversation ended. Wow. Um, so there was some of that in those early days. And uh, that's, that, that went away. I, I, Millard had a program in the 2000, ended in 2000, uh, uh, the, the uh, Sumter County Initiative. And the idea was to eliminate poverty housing in Sumter County, Georgia. Hmm. And they built lots of houses, lots of houses doing that. Um, but it engaged the community in a new and different way. Yeah. And I think that the, if there was any residual... Uh, any residual issues with the habitat, they went away uh, during the initiative because it turned out to they be a great thing. They began to see it. Yeah. Yeah. And right. it was serving Americas. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So I saw that change. Um, and now, uh, like I say, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lovely place to be. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. So one of the things is you, you have a book called The Tattered Passport, yeah, I do. correct? Yes. And it's, it's a, a lot of your experiences, journal entries of different places that you got a chance to go and see, because you, you did the site visits, correct? So right. as someone would come to you and say, could we do affordable housing here? You would be able to go and check that out. So, right. and, and I was reading how you were really excited about being able to do that. So tell me a little bit about just the initial being able to be, that's your job description. Well, I, I couldn't have asked for anything better. It was a true blessing. Uh, I mean, I, I traveled the world. Um, and the first place I went was Nepal. I'd always had been fascinated with Tibet, Nepal, the Himalayan countries. And, and I just could not wait to get there. And it turned out to satisfy all of my expectations wow. and more. Um, we did projects in Congo. They didn't succeed. But um, the, our project site was four hours by boat into mm. the jungle. Yeah. And, and I was, Zonto, I was the first white man to be there in 20 years. Wow. <laughs> I was standing, walked out of a meeting, and as a little three-year-old kid looked up and screamed. He'd mm. <laughs> never seen anything like it. Yeah. That still happens a little bit. <laughs> but I got to go places. I've been to North Korea. Wow. We did, uh, we tried to do a project there. Um, it didn't, it, it didn't work. It turned out they're not honest. Hard to believe. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you know, things like that, you just, those are experiences you can't trade. Yeah, so you would go and, and see about the possibilities, try to talk with some of the locals, and then try to help, in some form, organize with the local officials. Can we get right. this land? Can we put this on that land? And then there would have to be some... And then, like you said, sometimes it would fall through because they had promises that they couldn't make, or even maybe even some of the locals made promises to you to say, "Hey, I feel like we can do this." And then you get there, and then the the yeah. officials were like, "No, we can't and do that." Can't so, do 
Yeah, we so, only go where we're invited. Yeah. So there's always someone who I- invites us. Mm-hmm. And um, a number of Habitat groups have, uh, Habitat's pulled out of a number of countries, and, and those groups have contacted us and said, can you please help us? Uh, Armenia, for example, which is our most productive country in the world. Which one is this? Armenia. Okay. They build over 1,400 houses there. Wow. It's just amazing what they've done. I'll tell you about my first trip to Armenia, though. Talk, you're yeah. talking about, you know, yeah, go ahead. Uh, becoming humble. Yeah. Um, I got there before my suitcase did, and there are not a lot of flights into your event, and it wasn't going to come for two days, so I had to equip myself. So my first day in Armenia, I'm going underwear shopping <laughs> with these nice. people I'd never seen mm-hmm. and learning that European underwear is a little bit scantier than what we're accustomed to. Okay. But, you know, I mean, experiences like that, you can just, you, you look back and it just brings a smile to your face and you're just so grateful to have had the opportunity. And, and the world is a rich and vibrant place. Mm-hmm. One thing I find consistently in the world is that poor folks tend to be happier than rich folks here. Yeah. Share, share with me what, what your thoughts are on that. Why? Well, they used to say in Mexico that um, Americans live to work and Mexicans work to live. Mm. Now, did I get that backwards? Uh, yeah. Uh, the the right. idea is um, we, we are so materialistic here and so consumed with what we have to have. And they're not because they don't. They don't never had it, and they don't. Have it. And mm-hmm. so they look for other ways to live their lives. And I find them to be consistently happy, mm-hmm. surprisingly happy, given the the dire circumstances by our standards that some of them live in. And the kids every morning, you know, they un- wear uniforms mm-hmm. in a lot of these places to go to school. And here the little kids come running out of these hovels, dirt floors. Clean as can be with their <laughs> their little uniforms are just touching, yeah. but there is a sweetness about it. Mm-hmm. And um, if it's not, you know, I mean, they can come in and corrupt that pretty easily, which happened like in, in Nicaragua, for mm-hmm. example, where the government has um, really corrupted that sweetness. But mm-hmm. by and large, I find that to be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking earlier b- before we started, and uh, about this idea of humility. Um, you know, I, I've noticed that when I go to different places, and I mentioned to you, I, I worked with a, an organization in 2015 and 2016 that went to Peru, uh, and uh, and we we worked on some of the. We actually were helping kind of build a house that was with another organization, uh, and just the the. Not necessarily the culture shock was the biggest thing. It was just not not knowing what the rules are and not knowing the language that well. Uh, it really puts you in a place where you're dependent upon so many other people. Mm-hmm. And so especially when you don't know the language, I remember it took us a, a few, like a day to find our the person that was an interpreter. And when I found him, I gave him a big hug. <laughs> Thank you. Because there was just something. And, it, and I'm, I, you know, I'm not that... You know, I, I didn't think I was going to do that, but it was just I found some similarity. I found you know a way to communicate now with locals, and it was really helpful. But to me, it seems like the more we expose ourselves to different cultures, the more we expose ourselves to different uh, unique places, it helps us because then we realize we're not the center of the universe. We can't control all the switches. Uh, we really can't anyway, right? We think that we can. We, yeah. uh, but when, when all of that facade goes away, it really helps you to step back 
and say, I can learn something. I need some help. And so I think that's so valuable. So what, what are some, some things that you have learned uh, through some of your travels that you have loved to come back to, whether in your personal life or whether just even within uh, the United States that you would love to see uh, us kind of add to our, our rhythms? Well, I had an interesting experience in Nigeria. Um, I mean, it was a, sort of an epiphany. I, I, I spent some time there, and, and wonderful people working there. Worst cuisine on the planet, mm. but great people. Yeah. And I realized that I didn't see them as black. Mm. I, 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 the differences between us evaporated. Mm. We were just folks. I mean, it was powerful. Yeah. And um, we, need to, we need to find ways to do that here. Uh, there's so many forces that are trying to divide us and separate us and make us unhappy with one another. And the fact is, we can, be, we can all be happy together. Mm-hmm. I've seen it happen uh, over and over. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I'd like to yeah. see us bring. Yeah. Were, there, were there certain elements that you felt like helped that? Just being there. I mean, were there certain things that you guys were doing or saying, or just just being in the presence of? I think. Well, I was the only white guy, mm-hmm. and so there was that. Yeah. But I, I didn't feel like the only white guy. Mm. I felt like part of the crowd, yeah. part of the gang, part of the team. Um, and, and but it it, it it was a sudden thing. Mm-hmm. Another thing that happened there, we were in the hotel and we were getting ready to leave, and I had my suitcase and was carrying it down the stairs and. One of the guys came and grabbed it from me. And I said, oh, I can take that. And he said, oh, no, we take care of our elderly. I was like 57 at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I knocked him down the stairs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but That's I came right. home, and I, I saw the CIA notebook, and 57 was, is the life expectancy in Nigeria. Oh, wow. So I okay. was elderly. Yep. Another yep. revelation. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Like uh, when I got a chance to to go to uh, Jamaica specifically, there was a there was a clear cultural difference w- between, as you described, work and relationships, or time and relationships. That's probably better said. Yeah. Like we would go to a church service that started at. 10, but it really didn't start till like 1040 because people would just come in slowly. And, you know, and for us, when we say church service starts at 10, you better be there because the the timer is ticking. And so, but, but we just learned that relationships are more important than the time. And that was just really hard because you're trying to do projects, you're trying to build things out and people just want to spend time with you and engage in that. And so there are things that, you know, we got to share with others as far as, you know, coming from our culture. But at the same time, there was so much that I learned by just saying, why don't you just sit down and just have a conversation? Yeah. And so would you agree with that as far as oh, yeah. the, the difference between relationships? <laughs> one of the things that one of our handicaps in this country is we've got too much to look at. Mm. You know, television and games and Netflix and all of that. And um, uh, we become focused on that. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that over there. Mm. So a church service is an event. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you go to because you should. Yeah. It's an event. And if it lasts three hours, great. Yeah. Because what else are we going to do? It's yeah. a party. And um, it, there's a much better sense of uh, somewhere in between mm-hmm. are, are the two. I was talking to some guys in Congo that UN was there. And okay. I was talking to this Uruguayan guy. And he said the Germans were here, but they, they left. Mm-hmm. 
because um, they couldn't stand the time thing. It drove mm. them nuts. So they moved them out and brought in some South Americans who understood how time operates in the developing world. Wow. It's a very healthy thing in many ways. Yep. Yeah. I completely agree. So let me ask you this. Any advice that you would give someone who's going on their first trip to a completely you know, different culture, what would you, how would you advise them as a traveler? Well, I'd say you know, leave your American attitudes and, and uh, opinions home. Mm. Uh, go to learn. I tell our volunteers who go on these work teams, I said, if, you're, if you feel like you're going to help folks, you got it wrong. Because mm-hmm. they don't need your help. Mm. But they'll take it. But if you're going to say, I wonder what these people can teach me, then you've got it right. And then you can, you can take something from it. Um, I found Americans mm. to be, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm traveling in these places and I become part of the culture. Yeah. And I really get irritated with the Americans because mm. typically they're obnoxious. Um, so leave that, leave that behind. Yeah. Don't go and be an American. The ugly American thing is very true. Uh, be a, a citizen of the world. Be mm. an explorer. Be a learner. Mm-hmm. And, and then you'll have a great time. That's good. That's a good, that's a good word. Um, cause I know as I've gone, I have learned more by just being a part of that. Um, let me ask you this. What, how, how do some of the locals that you've met, how do they, how do they view America in general? Like when they hear, Oh, you're from America. What is that description of for, to them? Well, you know, it's interesting in, in Europe, it's never good. Mm-hmm. They look down on us, but in the developing world, it, there's always curiosity. Mm-hmm. And, and they have a lot of questions. What about this? What about that? Um, I don't sense antagonism. Mm-hmm. Well, North Korea I did. But in other places, I, I don't, they're not antagonistic towards us, mm-hmm. but they're very interested. And um, so, and I mean, there's a lot to talk about. They want to know if there's, <laughs> they, there's... I heard that people just leave their cars abandoned on the roads. They're so rich. And I said, well... Not my friends. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> right. that's right. Yeah. But you know, I, we when we were in Tijuana, uh, after Tijuana, we lived in San Diego for a year, and uh, my wife was friends with some of the women that lived in our neighborhood, uh, in the neighborhood in Tijuana. Yeah. And she wanted to invite them up to, they were going to have a little sewing circle or something. But she was very concerned. She said, "What will they think coming into our house? Will that be a problem for them?" Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I think you can imagine it more like if we were invited into someone's estate mm-hmm. and we could say, wow, isn't this cool? But we wouldn't feel oppressed by the fact that they had an estate and we went home to our littler house. And it turned out to be that way. The women just came. They had a wonderful time. And um, friendships were formed. Mm. All right. Well, let me ask you this. What um, I know that uh, so I know you speak Spanish a little bit, right? Or pretty proficiently. I'm pretty good with that. Um, as far as languages, what have been the most uh, the most culturally beautiful to you, and then what 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 are some that have been really difficult to try to to follow um, just from your experience? As, as far as uh, following the language, yeah, 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 yeah. trying well, to keep up with well, what's going um, on. Uh, French is very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Haitian French is actually a little bit easier because they write phonetically. Okay. In Haiti, they've get put up. They don't use the Q U E's and all of the. If they just write it, so you can actually, if you know a little bit of French, you can read the signs in Haiti. You can't in um, Congo, where they're purists. Um, I found uh, Lingala is a language in um, 
that they speak in in uh, the northern part of, of Congo. Okay. And um, it's really pretty to listen to, mm. but there's nothing in it that relates to anything we know. Wow. It's just an entirely different, different language. Uh, we did a project in Hungary in the 90s, and that was tough. It, I, not a particularly pretty language and impossible. Because, again, it's almost like Lingala. There's just nothing that connects mm. English to Magyar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you try to speak it, they correct you. Yeah, They'll nice come at you tip. with this awful English. But then you try to say something in Magyar. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, do a lot I, of people come to you because they they hear you speaking English and they see you? Did they say, "Could you teach me"? Is that is that uh, is that does that happen a lot? Not in a lot. Countries. Um, usually, the visits are uh, you know a little bit restricted. For, they're not an opportunity to do that mm-hmm. or to have that kind of, that conversation. Okay. Okay. Is there anything in your travels? Um, as you have this, you have this mission, you have this assignment, you've been on this project or, or whatever it is that you just felt like, you know, I, I think, I think it's time to go home. I think this is, uh, I don't want to do this anymore or not, maybe not to that degree, but is there any experience that you've had that's really shaped, uh, yeah, shaped, shaped you, um, in, uh, in a very difficult way, challenge you? I, no, um, I'm finding though, I, as I'm getting older, you know, I'm getting up there now, um, I'm not as intrigued by the prospect. It's tiring. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard work, this, these travels. The only place I ever felt disc- any un- discomfort was in North Korea. Okay. And that was the last visit that I had there. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking as they were listening to these guys tear into me, I- I'm done. I'm not wow. coming back. Um, uh, like, as in they won't let you come back or you're, you're like personally, I'm not going I'm, back. yeah, I'm not, they, going, they yeah. can invite me. I'm not going. Yeah. Um, I, you could feel that, you know, that it, that mm-hmm. the, the reality of North Korea became real in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, but otherwise I haven't, I did have, a, I've had a couple of frightening experiences. I, I was on the tarmac in Bandake in Congo, ready to get on the plane and an immigration guy came over and grabbed my passport. And he starts looking through it. And he says, you can't leave. You, need, you didn't get a stamp. Well, I had an expediter. Expediters are these wonderful angels that take care of you when mm-hmm. you're on the ground in a place like that. And he was standing there. And the guy's standing there. Two of them are carrying on. I mean, they're close to fisticuffs. And finally, he grabs the passport and hands it to me. And he said, run. <laughs> wow. So I ran. I got on that airplane praying that some, one of them wouldn't follow me. But, you know, I mean, those are I, they're the kind of experience that are kind of at the time. But afterwards, mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh, that's cool. Wow. That was fascinating. Wow. Um, I know part of the project, too, is being able to to speak and to share um, and to share not just the physical uh, aspects of the Fuller Center, but also the message of the Fuller Center. So when when you get to go to a place and you get to talk to some locals, how how do you communicate why you're there? What what are some things that you say? Well, I tell them that uh, I, I tell them first who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we, we like to say that we are unashamedly Christian and enthusiastically ecumenical. Okay. Um, so I want them to know that from, yeah. from the get-go. That doesn't mean that if there's a Muslim in the crowd, we won't build with them. Mm-hmm. But I want them to know where we come from. Yeah. And that this is a Christian ministry, that every house is a testament of God's love. 
Mm. And that uh, the people that come to help them will be people who are on a mission. They'll have a sense of, uh, of mission about being with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I tell them what we're going to do. You know, We're going to build these houses w- with you. We always say with rather than for. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important distinction. But we'll build with you. And then uh, you can help others have a house by paying for the house that we build for you. Mm-hmm. Clarence Jordan at Koinonia. Yes. He was Billard's spiritual father mm. that really got this whole thing kicked off in, in 1968. And what, what Clarence wrote was, what the poor need isn't charity, it's capital. Mm. Not social workers, but co-workers. And what the rich need is a wise, just, and honorable way of divesting themselves of their overabundance. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. It's a good uh, way to put it. But we believe that. And, um, and you know, we watched, uh, that was 1968, and in the years that followed that, terrible things happened to housing in America. Mm. We started building these, these uh, monuments and putting people in them for free, you know, all of the public housing that went up. Started, uh, destroyed families, destroyed mm-hmm. initiative, destroyed self-worth. Uh, he was, I saw that ahead of time. And that's why partnership housing became important, where the recipient is a participant. They're part of the process. And yeah. then when they pay, their money stays in the community to build another house. Mm-hmm. So they become donors in their own right, something that the poor seldom have an opportunity to do. So it's, I, I think it's elegant. And, and that whole notion yeah. is one of the things that really... Uh, compelled me to get more involved with uh, just that that elegant charity. Yeah, I like that. So yeah, let let's stick with that. So that's it. Seems to me that that is. Would, would you coin that as this is what it means to work with people to build affordable homes or affordable housing? What you just described that participation, that engagement, that also foresight of you're not just uh, building a home for yourself, but you're also helping someone else get there. Because with that money, we use the resources right. to build um, so that we can go ahead and start on this next home so they can build out, right? So that's right. kind of how it works. So um, I hear on the news a lot or you know, through media, affordable housing, what do what do people in general what do what do they mean when they say affordable housing? Is it the same as the Fuller Center? I don't think it's the same. Um, I, we talk about affordable home ownership. That's mm-hmm. an important add-on to the whole concept. But we're working with poor people by definition. Okay. Miller just say if you're not having trouble with your homeowners, you're choosing the wrong people. Okay. Um, these are these are poor. These are people who have no other access. And the affordable housing that I see in the media and the it's a very real issue. I mean, there are people who cannot live in San Francisco who work in San Francisco, like policemen and firemen, because the housing is unaffordable. Mm. But they do have resources. They could live someplace else and have a home. Mm-hmm. Um, and now here in America, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to become a homeowner mm. relative to other places. Even in Atlanta, it's it's much easier here. Because the costs are more. The living wage and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. It just all yep. sort of fits and makes it more uh, easier. But I, I, I see what we saw, talk about as uh, affordable home ownership is a little bit different from what the media is talking about because they're talking about housing wealthier people. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah. Um, and you think that, that also that aspect of having them partner with you to build the house is also probably something that's different from what they're saying? Oh, I imagine so. Okay. You know, they may talk about sweat equity, but it's not 
typically part of the deal. Okay. It's how okay. can we get more money into yeah. their hands? Um, what is it? What is a typical home? And I know, I mean, a typical house, uh, and maybe you can give some examples where it's maybe not in general, but we've built houses for this much in this place. We built houses here for that. What is that? Can you give me some numbers? For yeah, the numbers are going up. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we're we're still building like over in Lynette in the in the Chattahoochee Valley, uh, we'll we'll get a house up for sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, um, and there, we can do that in a, in a lot of places. We work a lot in smaller towns, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Okay, where things are more affordable. I mean, it's just the way things have shaken out. Mm-hmm. Um, now we can build a house in Madagascar for thirty five hundred bucks. Wow, that's they're the 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 most cost-effective operation. But in the States, it's we're talking 60, and it's sneaking up. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be 100 for long. Yeah. Um, but... And then yeah. people, so people hear about the Fuller Center, and they reach out to maybe a local chapter, or right. how, how does that... You had, you had mentioned that they're... Each one is uh, autonomous towards yes. what you guys are doing, so... Yeah, they'll hear about it, okay. and um, they might hear about it at church. Um, some of them ad- advertise... You know, okay. we, we, they'll have a fair, a housing fair, and and folks will learn about it and say, you know, this is something I might want to get involved with. And they, they, then there's an application process, and mm-hmm. um, we don't. Uh, some of them take uh, well, they they run a credit check, but we know they're not credit worthy, typically. Mm-hmm. I, but we're looking for liens. We're looking for you know pitfalls that might get in the way of their actually owning their home. Okay. Um, so we, but then there's a process. And, and mm-hmm. then um, there's some training, you know, and mm-hmm. there's some budgeting. And uh, th- these are things that um, we, we typically would, you know, just take for granted mm-hmm. that a lot of people have no concept of. The, the so idea. when you're doing that, you're also helping them even maybe if no one sat down with them ever in their lives and said, here's what a budget looks like, or, you know, that you're also, you're helping with that as far as just kind of giving some basic, Hey, you know, this, this is good to know. Um, so it's not just about building the house together with them, but it's also kind of working with that. Yeah. I mean, because we're asking them to take on a big assignment, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, you're going to have a mortgage. Yeah. And, um, and you need to know how to, how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, because we uh, we do expect them to to pay, um, yeah. you know we're not heartless. We'll help them if situation gets tough. Mm-hmm. But if they just decide not to pay, yeah, we'll foreclose. Yeah, I love the idea of no interest, and I know that comes from a biblical perspective, right? So yes. tell me a little bit about that. How well, did that? In more than one place, the Bible says, "Don't charge interest of the poor." Mm-hmm. And that was a basic concept that Clarence and Miller came up with in the very earliest days. We're not going to charge interest. Um, so, it, uh, well, you've, if you have a mortgage mm-hmm. and you find a way to calculate the interest out of it, <laughs> yeah. goodness gracious, this is, I can afford this. And, and that's, so that's really the purpose. But the idea is that they get into the home on terms they can afford with no interest, no profit. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes that means an adjustment in the years of the mortgage, but typically they're about 20 years. Yes, yes. And then there's a festival, a mortgage burning. and uh, Yeah. And they own the house. That's I mean, awesome. Yeah. I love that. Uh, so let me ask you this. There's a, there's a, you know, Jesus said at one point, he said, you know, you will always have the poor with you, which does not mean don't do anything. It means right. continue to do. 
but there's always going to be a sense that there's someone's going to be in need, right? Uh, so when we think about affordable housing or we think about, you know, h- households, um, what would be the best case scenario as, as you've been in this world for a l- really long time, whether that's in the States or in other countries, what would be a great way to see this continue to diminish over time, people not being able to be in, in a home that they own? Well, it takes going to take a lot of effort and a lot of organizations that, that buy into this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, we're we're making a dent, but it's a little dent. Mm-hmm. Um, Habitat has made a bigger dent, mm-hmm. but still, I mean, there's a billion people in the planet who are living in substandard housing. So a billion. Yeah. Okay. That's wow. a number yeah. they throw around, but I mm-hmm. imagine it's pretty accurate. Um, but it's going to take a lot of this, and I, I really think our governments have failed mm-hmm. uh, everywhere. Um, and here especially, they mm-hmm. failed in this particular mission of getting people into a better place. Um, so it's going to take folks like us. It's going to yeah. take churches and nonprofit organizations and foundations that want to want to make a, a true difference. Now we did it here in America with the Sumter County Initiative. I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. And and eliminated poverty housing. We learned two things from it. One, it's very expensive. Mm. And the local community couldn't do it without money coming in from outside. And two, it's never over. Mm. The poor are always with us. Yeah. And, you know, we'll get, get things in good shape, and then tomorrow this house is going to go into disrepair. Mm-hmm. And this family is going to suffer some loss. And, and so, um, but it's, it's, it's going to be a huge effort. Now, yeah. Millard always, his goal was the elimination of poverty housing. And people ask us how we get along with Habitat. We get along fine with Habitat. Millard said, the only time we're going to have a struggle with Habitat is when it's time to build that very last house. (laughs) Who gets it? (laughs) Who gets it? (laughs) Um, That's great. I love that. I love that. Um, So... Do you do you kind of have like a, every year? Do y'all get a chance? I would I assume you guys kind of share how many houses you you build uh, throughout the years. Do y'all have like a total number now, or how does that how does that uh, how does that work as far as how do you guys set goals and just get excited about um, y'all's assignments and your mission? Yeah, well, it's kind of hard to set goals because we're dealing with 120. Mm-hmm separate outfits that are setting their own goals mm-hmm. and we can encourage them but we're not it's not a top-down operation yeah which is one reason we have we're, we're very lean administratively mm-hmm. because we don't need to have a lot of levels mm-hmm. so that's difficult to do but i mean we're talking thousands of houses um more overseas than here yeah and we're seeing a lot more because of the costs we're seeing a lot more rehab we call them renew projects yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Tell us a little bit about that part of the... Yeah, uh, that's a good operation. That takes... And that's what they're doing here in America, uh, the two they're working on right now. But it takes an existing structure and fixes it. Okay. Essentially. And um, it's always more difficult, more expensive than you think it's going to be. You know, you start tearing into those walls, who knows what you're going to find. But, it, uh, you know, you can do that for twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. Okay. So a group could do a couple, three of those for the same amount of money that they'd spend on building a new house. So we're, we're, we're doing more and more of those. Okay. That's great. And then so people can, if they, if they hear about this now um, or if someone shares this and they say, I would love to get connected, they have obviously got to meet those requirements, right. correct? Um, but then they can call the local uh, Fuller Center for Housing um, that's here, and then they'll basically 
if it, if it all works out, they'll put a team together, the resources. And, and so any, even if you're, if you're not someone who needs the, the resources, you can be someone who could donate those resources, donate your time, uh, donate your finances to that. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, the whole thing is funded by kindness of people. Mm-hmm. So, reaching out and having folks come forward and say, "Hey, we want." I'll tell you a great little story. There was an operation in Florida. This was years and years ago, and they were trying to build their first house, brand new, brand new little habitat down there, and um, they just couldn't get any traction. And so they called Miller. What can we do? Miller said, "Well, they had a lot." And he said, "All right, put a sign up, big sign." Yeah. And then go out there and dig out the footers all the way around the house by hand. And so they did. Mm-hmm. And uh, called Millard on Monday and said, okay, we did it. Nothing yeah. happened. He said, fill them in and dig them out again. So this happened two or three times. And the third time, this guy drove by in a big old Cadillac, and he stopped the car, and he got out, and he said, all right, I've been watching you folks. What are you doing? And they said, we're trying to build a house for a family in need, and we're trying to raise the money. And he said, well, what do you need? This is in the olden days, uh, $25,000. Wrote him a check. This is a true story. Wow. Wrote him a check, and they were on their way. So, um, you know, faith and the kindness of others, uh, those, those are the things that drive the ministry. We don't use government money to build houses with. Okay. We'll take land from the government. But we feel that this is a spiritual undertaking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a material matter of getting a house built. And so we want to use money that people give, mm-hmm. not money that's taken from them. Yeah. So we let Caesar's money be to the side, and we use donor money to build our houses. That's true all around the world. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I love—I've read a lot about Clarence Jordan. I've read a lot about Millard uh, Fuller and— Again, the the beautiful picture that I continue to see is, you know, the gospel is a message, right? It is something to receive like news. It's happened and you receive it. But then as the gospel applies to your life, it produces something, right? The message produces a life that wants to follow Jesus. And so what did Jesus do? And he begins to heal the sick and love the poor, and you begin to see that. So the things that you guys are you're, you're, you're doing is we're only putting into action what we believe, right? And th- that that's what I love. Um, is it's not just a well Saturday I'm doing what I want to do, and then Sunday I'm going to go to church. You're saying I've dedicated my life to following Jesus, and this is what it looks like on the ground. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's uh, an amazing work that you guys are, are doing because it is. It's it's because of a message, but it actually produces something. Yeah. So. That's what James talks about. Mm-hmm. I call that the, the um, epistle, epistle to the nonprofits, mm. the book of James, because he talks about doing it. it. You know, it's not enough to just believe and pray. And be, you got to mm-hmm. get out. You got to do. Yeah. And, the, and the thing that I like about this is it's a great way to do it. Yes. You know, it's yes. fun. It's interesting. It's educational. Mm-hmm. And, and you can go home and say, I helped someone today. I did as Jesus would have me do. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love it. All right. Well, let me ask you this: um, as you as you stated earlier, you talked a little bit about um, growing into Americus and just enjoying being here and being a part of the history of Americus. Where do you see the future of Americus five, ten, fifteen years from now? What were some things that get you excited, or maybe some challenges that you would love to see tackled? Well, I think it's on a good track. Um, you know, we're members of One Sumter, and and I think they've done some interesting things. Mm. Um, and I, you, I don't know what's happening. You see. It's, 
uh, storefronts up and down the street getting repaired. And, yeah. and so something's happening, and that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest need that America has, we've got to find a way to take care of our young people. Mm. And there are so few opportunities for them here. And if they come from um, you know, an unfortunate household, um, they're more likely to be naughty than not. Mm-hmm. And we need to, and there's no outlet. Yeah, you know, there's no there's no uh, job that they can step into. We need to figure out a way to help our young people. Yeah, I think that's the greatest threat we face. I, you know, we've heard a lot of people get to that place as well. Is there any like specific thoughts, uh, maybe activities or programs that that you think that would be helpful here? I don't know. I think mm-hmm. ROTC would be good in, yeah. in the high school. Yeah, <coughs> excuse me, instill some discipline. Yeah, um, I, I, there need to be some programs. You know, you, you, there needs to be a reward. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be programs that um, engage young people in in such a way that they walk away from it saying, "Okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I'd do that again." And I'm not sure what those are, mm-hmm. um, but it is something we need to be considering. We need to be thinking a lot about how we can provide more resource for the young people mm-hmm. to develop in a positive way. That's good. That's good. Well, let me ask you this, kind of we're we're kind of getting to the we're landing the plane yep, as yep. Uh, right? We got got our passports. We're yep, landing yep. the plane. We're ready to go. Um, <laughs> so I want to ask some rapid fire questions, just uh, some quick questions just to ask you just to kind of get to know you a little bit more. Um, so here's the first one. Uh, what are some things that you do to relax? What does that look like for you uh, to relax? Well, I do some gardening. Nice. Um, I do I read a lot. Okay. Um I'm not much of an athlete, so I don't do much athletic. Um, we just lost our little dog, uh, uh-huh. and she she kept me going. I, I did a lot with her. She was my little buddy, and okay, what kind uh, of what kind of uh, breed? She, yeah, she was a uh, a dorgy. Okay, uh, it's a dachshund corgi. Blend. Okay, oh, lovely. oh, we we love corgis at our house. Oh, they're wonderful. Animals. We had we had one. Did you? Yes. Yeah, they're great. They are good. Yeah, the queen was responsible for those. Her sister had a dachshund, and she had the corgis, and two of them got together. Wow. And so the, the dorgy is a Queen Elizabeth contribution. I love that. I love that. We actually have a salt and pepper shaker of the queen and a corgi. Oh, yeah. That's a salt and pepper shaker. So yeah, that's, that's cool. It is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we like the old Victoria stuff and, and um, getting to see that. So uh, what, do, what do you garden? Like what, uh, what, well, we're what, doing, do you, what do you plant? Uh, well, my wife's real good with herbs. She's got a nice herb garden. I just put on potatoes. Okay. You know, they, they say down here that uh, you're supposed to plant your potatoes on Valentine's Day. Really? Yeah. That was a little late, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but we planted last year and we got, we got potatoes. That's great. Uh, so that's my current. Yeah, that's one of our goals uh, as we moved in is to, is to build out a garden. I think that'd be really great. Um, just spend teaches much, you a lot of patience. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, farmers feed and seed. You need to spend some time down there. Okay. That's where I got they'll my hook, potatoes. They'll, they'll tell me what I need to do, they'll, they'll, when I need to do it. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Don't buy that. That's not going to work. That, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's great. All right. Uh, do you have a, a favorite song that you listen to or a particular music genre? Um, <laughs> well, yeah. John Denver has been a real part of our lives. Okay. Um, for a long... We actually... One point, put on a John Denver concert. We had a little concert production company in one of my earlier lives. Come on, and um, 
I, I mean, he's just sort of the music of our life. Okay. Uh, but I, that era uh, still... That's good. I, I feel so disconnected now mm-hmm. because I just don't know what people are listening to. Well, by the time you hear the song, they've already moved on. So That's true. It's hard, it's, yeah. it's hard to keep up. Yeah. It really is. Even for me, I'm like, I, I guess this is in. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> all right. Do you, you have a favorite restaurant or a particular uh, food that you like to, to eat more than others? Well, I love Mexican food. Okay. But I'm real picky about it because I'm good, a good Mexican cook. Mm-hmm. Nice. But this little place that just opened the... Uh, Taco Ray. Yes. They do a very good job. Mm-hmm. They, they do some good food. They're, they're all right. Yeah. And then I, I love the, uh, I don't know how to pronounce their name, the Gyro, the Mediterranean. Yeah, place. yeah. Gyro or Gyro. 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 Yeah. yeah. I like Is it Colorado them. or Colorado, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, really. Right. You have to be careful how you pronounce it. But I like their yeah. food, too. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah. It's good. It's got, and, uh, you know, they got a new place that they're opening up here pretty soon. So, I mean, it's, they they've are? actually got a really good Cuban uh, place um, right behind the, uh, the Walmart, I think, right oh, around the gas area. station? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, an, that's like a, a, a nursery for... for it's Cuban now. Yeah. It's been other things in the past. That's, that it, yes, I've heard that, that people will start there and then get yeah, their own. Yeah, it's sort of an incubator. Really cool. All right. Um, you have a, so you say you don't play sports. Do so you watch sports? Are you? A, I, I, you know, I don't. I, okay. It's time wasting to me. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want my public to know that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but no, I don't follow it. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite family or friend activity that you like to do? Well, we love to get together with the kids. Mm. Um, you know, we, we have two really wonderful grandsons. Uh, one it was is a uh, just named a uh, senior game warden wow. in Wyoming. Okay, <laughs> he's twenty three years old. That's and, amazing. And the other one's a firefighter in Leadville, Colorado. Wow. Um, but I, you know, I just can't get enough of spending time with them. We were with them. Fortunately, we were in Colorado up until their early teens. Okay. So we got the best part. Okay. <laughs> and when they start turning on us, you know, we were gone, you, but now they've turned back. Yeah, that's but, right. Well, now they kind of miss you a little bit, right? Yeah. When they had yeah. That. All right. Last question. Is there any other place that's a bucket list that you say, I would like to go there or at least go back again before, before I settle down? Well, I'll tell you. That, that's tough because I, I just – every place I've been has been – the greatest place, mm-hmm. you know, and um, part of me doesn't want to go back, yeah, and, and to have that be affected. But I haven't been to Madagascar. I'd like to. I'd like to go to Madagascar. We have a great operation down there. Wow, one of the poorest countries in the world, mm-hmm. and um, but it's a fascinating place, and so that might be one. Yeah, that'd be um, great. Yeah. I love it. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, spending time with us, getting us a little bit more uh, of better understanding of what the Fuller Center for Housing is and does, uh, not only internationally, but also locally. Thank you for your service to the King Jesus and for your love for the message and, 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 and letting that be a physical representation as well by your love for uh, serving people and and partnering with people um not just for a home but for their lives and and so thank you so much for that i look forward to you know being a part of americus with you uh as we continue so if anyone's you know interested again with uh giving to uh this or um wanting to volunteer physically with time um you know as projects go out i think you mentioned there's two projects that are going on right now locally so you know you can always get involved in that uh or if you need some if you want to know if you're uh 
able to be uh, an applicant for uh, to receive it, uh, make sure to reach out to them. So yeah. how, how would they be able to reach out to the local chapter? Do you know? Well, uh, yeah, they're right across the street from the Windsor. Okay. It, it's the Client First Insurance Office. Okay. That's their headquarters. Okay, great. Right next to uh, Cafe Campesino, okay. which is now something different. Yes, it's um, so, uh, a South Georgia bakery. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Sweet Georgia. Sweet Georgia Baker. I'm Sweet sorry. Georgia. I said yeah. South. No, um, but they're right next door. Okay. And that's the place to go. And okay. and, and they can and get all their questions answered there. And Amazing. if they come to our office, we're just going to send You're them up You're just going to send them there. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And we look forward to seeing more of the Fuller Center for Housing uh, in Americas and, and beyond. So thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was great fun. That's awesome. All right. David, thank you so much. This, uh, man, that's been super helpful for me. I have been, I've been wanting to ask these questions for so long. Uh, so thank you for, for really sharing that. Well, I really appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, you know, um, people get to see, the, tell them the story like I told you earlier.